Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later, we're going to have one of my favorite segments of the year. Each year, we get Chris Collins, who is the president and artistic director of the Detroit Jazz Festival, in here to talk about the upcoming festival. The festival, of course, is this weekend, Labor Day weekend, in downtown Detroit. It is one of my favorite events in our metro area, and I always am <clears throat> pretty excited to talk with Chris about what is on tap. This year's festival is a mind-blowing uh, event. I mean, they've, they've got an incredible lineup of artists coming here to uh, to perform. So you're not going to want to miss the festival, but you also don't want to miss Chris talking about the festival that's going to happen at about 9.45. Also remember, if you're heading into work and can't listen to the show right now, um, you can still catch the full edition of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. If you go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts and download and subscribe to Detroit Today, <clears throat> you can take us with you and listen to us whenever you are ready. All right, up first today, it is Friday, and around here, we make that opposite day. Uh, we, tie, we try to invite somebody in who sees the world through a different lens than I do, someone who sits across the political spectrum, and making her debut in that chair this week is Caitlin Buss, who is an editorial page staffer at the Detroit News. Caitlin, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Fun yeah. to be on with you. Uh, I often have your colleague, Nolan Finley, my buddy, in that chair, we'll see. Uh, we'll big, see. Big shoes you, to fill. Yeah. <laughs> big shoes, or maybe not so big. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right. Uh, this was a big week in the news. The biggest story, of course, <clears throat> was Hurricane Harvey and the damage that it did to Southeast Texas. I, you know, just the photos alone, I think, convey the size of this storm and how different it is, even from from other big hurricanes that we've seen make. Landfall. One of the sort of stories that folded out of that story, though, was how the president of the United States responded. Now, that's not a new story because we've seen that that uh, that dialogue sort of unfold around George W. Bush and Katrina. Uh, president Obama was was always sort of under the microscope when a disaster happened. I, I think it's sort of tough to to sort of walk into the middle of these things and strike the right tones, do the mm -hmm. right things. But Donald Trump, boy, I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure he could have screwed it up any more than he did. But I want to get your reaction to to what the president did and said. Sure. Well, um this this role of mourner in chief that the president has come to fill, you know, has grown so much in, in the past decade with various tragedies. And uh I think he was, I don't want to say this wrong, but a little bit almost happy to have a, a an event that wasn't of his own doing to kind of respond <laughs> to. And, an and, and I do it. think that I, I actually think he did, um, you know, an okay job. I mean, his personal response to it has been, you know, he's pledged money. Um, he did in Missouri the other day have some, you know, very um, seemingly heartfelt statements, uh, you know, toward the loss of life and uh, the recovery efforts. So I, I think his, his personal response has actually been for Donald Trump, Sure. Adequate and, and, and pretty good. Um, and I think his administration, you know, has actually been very competent in responding to this. I mean, it's certainly been better than, you know, the response in Katrina and stuff like that. So, um, you know, he's doing OK so far. He hasn't stepped in it. I did just read through his tweets a little bit ago and he's still tweeting about Clinton 
and he's still tweeting about Charlottesville a couple days ago. So, sure. I mean, that kind of stuff just ha- absolutely has to stop. But the idea of going down there and not, first of all, going to Houston, he never got near Houston as far as mm-hmm. I could tell. And he never got any near anybody who lives there who is affected by this. And mm-hmm. I, I always wonder what is going through not just the politician's head, but but their staff mm-hmm. when they make that decision. I had that same question very uh, uh, very pointedly about Governor Rick Snyder mm-hmm. in the Flintwater crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I said at one point that if this had happened on Jennifer Granholm's watch, she would have been in a photo with a Flint resident mm-hmm. every day for, for weeks. Uh, and, and not that that means that you're handling the substantive issues well, but but it's a signal. It's a signal to people that you care. It's a signal to people that you're trying to connect with the people who are who are struggling, who are having a hard time. Mm-hmm. Why, why go down there if you're not going to do that? I, I think, you know, at the same time, if he had gone into those, you know, still those zones are still being flooded. I mean, they're still, you know, recovering. Uh, and rescuing people down there, there would have been the criticism that, you know, he's distracting, he's taking resources, he's grandstanding, (laughs) stuff like that. So, um, you know, there's two sides to that coin. I think he's going down tomorrow. It will be interesting to see, you know, how hands-on he gets. Pence was very hands-on yesterday, and and that seems a little more comfortable for him. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if Trump can can do that and really connect with people down there. Yeah. Uh, You know, we haven't had you on the show yet. I'm, I'm these days asking everyone who identifies themselves as a conservative to to tell me what they think about the things that we're seeing uh, from the Republican president who mm-hmm. is doing things that I think uh, don't fall under the auspices of conservatism in, 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 in many ways. I think it does put conservatives in an odd spot, right? Mm-hmm. You have a guy who identifies himself as a Republican who's won the presidency. He has a Congress that's also led by Republicans, in some ways it's almost like, oh, well, uh, I don't necessarily like the person, but I got to be on board with the agenda. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the things he says, the things he's doing, I know don't represent what many conservatives think. Where, uh, where, Where do you fall on all of that? Well, I agree with you. I mean, there, there are so many things that he has said, I think, that are, you know, offensive and, and just totally, out of line with what conservatives or, you know, I, I'm more in the conservative libertarian uh, mindset, what what we believe. And, and Charlottesville was, to me, kind of the the absolute worst of it. Um, and, and just these you know, foundational principles that conservatives have built their name on. Um, he was just, you know, riding over and it was it was very offensive. But at the same time, there are important things like tax reform and you know, we would have hoped that Obamacare would have, uh, you know, gone better through Congress or the repeal of it. Um, and those things have been important to the conservative base for a long time. And so it, it, we still need to push for those. I think Paul Ryan is in one of the hardest spots of anyone in the country in having pushed this agenda for years and and really hoping that some of these conservative reforms can get through. If they can't get through with the majorities they have now, I don't know what their chances are for the future. I mean, the future of the Republican Party is a crapshoot, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you think it's a crapshoot because of Donald Trump? Or do you think that there are deeper substantive issues with what conservatism means, Mm -hmm. who it can appeal to? Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. the demographic change in the country doesn't seem to favor Republicans, although Mm -hmm. they seem to be doing pretty well at the at the ballot box for now. Right. I think the, you know, the National Republican Party has had a lot of problems. I 
I saw that years ago. I saw that building through Obama. They had no strategy to recover from Obama's, you know, land, you know, victories. And they had no, you know, they made that playbook of this is how we reform ourselves moving forward. And I mean, it just got completely tossed out the window. They didn't right. enact any of that. Yeah. Um, so I think Trump is, you know, a symptom somewhat of the the problems that happened in the party and, and certainly is not helping it move forward. Um, they have a big challenge ahead. Yeah. Uh, at what, what point do you think it becomes incumbent on people who really do love the Republican Party or who really do love the idea of conservatism or libertarianism or any of the, the sort of various <clears throat> dynamics that are present present on the right wing of the political spectrum. At what point do they, do they have to stand up and say, that's enough. This is not okay. We've got to, we have to push back against this kind of uh, behavior or or uh, speech or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's giving you lots of, of of choices of things to sort of pick out and say they're they're unacceptable. For you, what's that? What's that breaking point? If it's not Charlottesville, what is it? Like I said, for me, Charlottesville was you know, and I I, I won't you know say how I voted, but I I'm not you know a, a diehard Trump supporter, but. Charlottesville was really kind of, to me, a philosophical just breaking point um, in that conservatives can't support that. I think, you know, politicians in the Republican Party have had a harder time responding to that. But certainly the intellectual leaders in the conservative movement, those who have historically um, kind of held it to, you know, what what it's been, have been uh, calling him out, you know, long before um, he was even elected. So they're, they're continuing to do that. And how this breaks you know, the party in the in the future will be interesting to see. At the same time, the Democratic Party is having its own um, ideological struggles. Sure. And I think something that our papers actually advocated, you know, and, and Nolan has talked about a lot, is that this third party. I mean, where do Americans go who are disillusioned with both parties? And there's so many of those, as we saw with, you know, Bernie Sanders support. I mean, both parties are going to have an interesting setup in this next election. And, and there's if there's not time for a third party now, I'm not sure, you know, when that would be. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Caitlin Buss. She is one of the editorial page staffers at the Detroit News. She is in the opposite chair today on Friday when we try to invite somebody in who sees the world through a little different lens than I do, someone who sits across the political spectrum to wrap up the week's news with me. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. We have been talking about Donald Trump's reaction to Hurricane Harvey. Uh, Was that okay? We're talking about Donald Trump and the Republican Party. Uh, Is it time for the party to sort of call him out and Maybe try to rein him in or break with him. Uh, we're also going to talk about the tax reform that is being discussed in Congress and about uh, the protective coating that has fallen off of Line 5, which runs through the Mackinac Straits. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Caitlin, let's talk about tax reform. You mentioned it briefly that uh, this is one of the things that conservatives uh, hope to get out of the Trump administration. Um, The the discussion in Washington, to me, so far looks really familiar, though. Uh, I think we've made really awful decisions in this country with regard to tax reform policy in the last 
15, 20 years, if you think of the Bush tax cuts, uh, what they did and what they didn't account for, I think is always the thing, right? Uh, this idea that you can yank all kinds of money out of the treasury and that growth will replace it. Uh, also the idea that you can yank that money out of the treasury and then march off to war, uh, for instance, and spend trillions of dollars mm -hmm. uh, that, that are no longer there. The idea that you can lower taxes and add a huge entitlement like Medicare Part D, uh, which which was in the later Bush years. I mean, we just don't think about these things in the way that conservatives say they want to think about them. I don't. I guess I never understand what the motivation is there. Mm -hmm. I think you know they often break it down to be a bit more black and white than it than it really is. And uh, tax reform, you know, on its own might have somewhat of a stimulating effect for the economy, but there's also things like entitlement reform and these huge, you know, like you said, going to war, huge, you know, military spending drains on the budget that will, um, you know, affect any kind of stimulus that, that tax cuts have. But I do, I think, you know, Trump's playbook is to go, you know, to one end to start negotiations. And I think that's kind of what he's trying to do, talking about the 15% corporate tax rate and, and some other things. And what will end up happening is something more in the middle, you know, perhaps around 20, 25%. Um, and I hope that he'll get some, you know, bipartisan support behind this because, and I hope he'll focus on, you know, middle class benefits for the middle class. He won off of those people. He did. And, and he should listen to them and, and and craft a plan with Congress that will really help the broadest you know number of Americans possible. And you know, it sounds like they might be getting there, but but that's what I would hope he would do. I mean, the problem with the idea of middle class tax relief, though, is that it it is even more expensive if you do it in, in an earnest and substantive way than tax cuts at the at the top end of. Uh, of the economic scale, mm -hmm. for instance, mm -hmm. and and there's not been an effort to identify. Well, okay, how do we how do we do that? I mean, we do have we still have deficits uh, that that date back now to 2003, 2004. Uh, is it the deficit? Is it that the deficit matters, or is it that the deficit just doesn't matter? I don't know that the deficit matters <laughs> to a lot of people. Um, but certainly, you know, it, it, these tax cuts will need to be offset by um, things that they're, you know, like the, the mortgage deduction that they're considering lowering, other things to help get more money back in. But I think if, if this is done correctly, there can be, a, you know, an actual stimulus to the economy if we can bring back a lot of that money from overseas. I mean, it's you don't want to ignore the potential uh, you know, new money that will flourish from small business growth, um, from, you know, new entrepreneurs that mm -hmm. have money in their pockets mm -hmm. from from tax cuts and bigger corporations that are coming back to America and putting money back in the Treasury. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You want to talk about Donald Trump and Hurricane Harvey, talk about tax reform in Congress. What would you like to see them change? We're also going to talk about Line 5 uh, up north, uh, the Enbridge has admitted that protective coating has actually fallen off that pipeline. We didn't think that was true. Does that mean that we have to be finished with that? Should we shut it down and find another way to get uh, oil and gas from up in Canada down into the United States? Uh, again, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Ian in St. Clair Shores. Ian. Welcome to Detroit today. Oh, thank you, and good morning to both of you. Hey, uh, go ahead. I, I, I uh, 
want to talk about the the hurricane. Uh, um, I thought that uh, the guest really got to the heart of who Trump is when she mentioned that he was happy about this opportunity. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I'm sure that's not exactly what you meant. but the, <laughs> I think she, she said he might be happy. <laughs> well, he was basically jubilant. <laughs> so as, as the truth, I you know, when he went down there with Melania and talked about how incredible, like incredibly fascinating the whole thing was and didn't have any words of condolence, really hardly even, you know, I mean, it was he was jubilant. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I agree with. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I agree with the description jubilant, but I do think he 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 seemed odd. He seemed oddly uh, tuned into the idea of what this meant to him him still as opposed to what it meant to the people down there. I mean, it was almost as if he was at one of his rallies Mm -hmm. when he was speaking. Yeah, I think we're just starting to see that, you know, this is kind of how he responds to things. And and maybe it takes a while for for it to set in what, you know, these real hardships for other people are or or loss of life. I mean, to me, that's the biggest problem is that there's, you know, he knows there's going to be loss of life. He knows that's going to continue. And that needs to be kind of the first thing that he addresses. While he has addressed it since, um, you know, he just has a weird and it's off-putting to a lot of people's style of responding to these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's go to Eric. Eric in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit today. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. So my my uh, question is for uh, your guest. You know, you talked about cutting taxes to stimulate the economy. You know, we've been trying that for thirty some years, and it hasn't worked. You know, wages have have stagnated. Uh, the Laffer curve is a lie. You know, the whole philosophy that you can cut taxes. Let alone you're cutting taxes, you're reducing the mortgage deduction that affects the middle class people like myself the most. Right, it's one of the biggest on corporations. It's one of the biggest corporate profits at record levels. Yeah, Eric, I, I, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there, and I appreciate your call and your question. What about this idea that tax cuts are not the way to grow the economy? I mean, I think if you sit on the left side of the political spectrum, you believe that investment in human capital is the way to to grow the economy. In other words, let's invest in schools and make sure people. Uh, are prepared to to go to college or get some sort of skill that allows them to work or start a business or or things like that. We have been trying the tax cut thing for a really long time, and I, I don't think Eric's right that we don't see growth. We do, but we also don't see growth for the people who it matters the most to. Right? So uh, you know, wage stagnation. I think which is now. Uh, decades in the making is sort of a sign that tax cuts alone, at least, aren't the way to to get where we want to go. You know, I wouldn't necessarily argue with that, I, but I think they're a, a part of it and an important part. But this investment in human capital and just, you know, giving people kind of the boost. I mean, our productivity levels are just, you know, staggeringly low. And yeah. to me, that's the biggest problem. If we More can invest. More people are not working. Right. And, and you know, our family, you know, we own businesses when 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 we see that, um, you know, we can give more of that money back to our, our employees. I mean, that's a huge, uh, you know, we tell them exactly if we get this money in, you know, it's going straight to you. And and if more people can act that way, I mean, that would make, you know, a big difference in, in the wage and, and productivity sectors. Yeah. Let's go to Mark in Rochester. Mark, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, how you doing? Good. How are you, Mark? Happy Labor Day weekend. Ah, yes. Happy Jazz Festival, which we're going to yeah, talk about later in the show. Uh, well, go ahead, Mark. Oh, I, I was just on the screener that um, 
you know, hearing the line five issue, uh-huh. which I know and has been going on forever, and then talking about tax cuts at the same time, I'm like, if that line is to break mm-hmm. first, the uh, amount of taxes that we would have to use for the cleanup would be astronomical. I mean, it would make anything that happened in the river, I think, look like small potatoes. I yeah. mean, I just imagine a huge ecological yeah, I mean, nightmare. It would be a disaster of the likes of which we have never seen in this region and probably one of the biggest disasters ever in in the country. I'm trying to think of uh, you know other things that would be in the same category, but it, but it would be a big deal. Uh, Mark, uh, thanks for the call, and you get us uh, pretty smoothly there to the next subject, which is Line 5. Uh, Caitlin, what do you think about the idea of shutting that down and finding another another way? Well, I know it's opposite day, so you want me to have an opposite opinion. <laughs> well, you might not, <laughs> but um, you know, I've covered I've covered Line Five and, and energy stuff for our our paper for years now, and this is kind of you know a major disappointment. I mean, we've we've trusted what they've said, we've trusted what the state regulators have said about that line, and and to find out that it's it's likely you know the company's own error. Um, that created these problems is is very alarming to me. Yeah. And, and you know, the Great Lakes are so important to all of us. And I, I love them, you know, just as much as anyone else in this state. And and I don't want anything to happen to them. So this is kind of a, a red, you know, siren for me to find an alternative route. Yeah, one of the things I think is interesting about this is you have bipartisan uh, support now for mm-hmm. something else. You've yeah. got Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow both trying to get bills passed that would allow – for I think the Secretary of, uh, of Transportation to, to to do something about the line. You also have Bill Schuette saying, "Hey, this is not okay. I, yep. uh, we've got to do something." But we still don't get to the place where we've done something. It's all right. it's all just talk, right? Um, I mean, that's a big undertaking, and it, it's it's going to need serious consideration. But I think we absolutely have to protect our water, and and that is something that has always you know garnered bipartisan support yeah. from from these people. Yeah. So. Okay, Caitlin Buss, uh, editorial page staffer with the Detroit News. Thanks for being here on Opposite Day. We'll have you back. We'll we'll pick some topics that we can actually fight about next time. Sounds good. good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. Up next, we're going to hear about Michigan's key role in the ailing monarch, monarch butterfly population. Stay with us on Detroit Today.